Hey, what's up, everybody? I'll tell you why I showed that later, but I also might forget, and then you'll never know. So uh, my name is Luke Hazelmeyer. If we haven't got the chance to meet, I am a leader at the Blue Ash House Group. And um, before I say anything else, I want to bring to your attention, if you didn't vote yet in the House Group's superlatives voting ballot... It's out there. Jamie put it together. It's really well done. Let's give her a round of applause for that. It's awesome. It's just like five questions as to which house group you think would win in these different categories. So check that out if you have any interest. Um, Another thing I wanted to say is, you know what I love about those two testimonies? That you see a community of people rallying around someone and loving on them when the healing did and did not happen. You know? And so it just kind of shows that like the most important thing is love and being there for each other and loving on each other. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight, sorry, I've got like 17 things I'm trying to balance up here. So um, what I want to talk to you about is experiencing the presence of God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I felt a couple of us about a month or two ago, well, however many months ago it was July, late July, early August, we really felt like God was taking house group into a new chapter of experiencing the presence of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as we started feeling that, there was like this wave of power that came, and there was a number of really awesome things that happened. And um, I really feel like another one of those waves is coming before the end of the year. We've had chapters before of intimacy with God, where that's like the thing that God was growing us all in the most. We've had chapters before of character, which rather than powerful manifestations of the Spirit, it involved confronting each other's sin issues, you know, and correcting each other, not, not the, the stuff that's not so glamorous and fun. And so we've had all these different chapters throughout House Group's brief history, almost three years now. But what we really feel like God is doing, among some other things, in this current chapter is um, releasing a greater measure of his presence than he ever has before. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind as we're anticipating this is that God's not going to give us more than we can handle. Sometimes too much of a good thing, if we aren't ready for it, ends up being a bad thing. And so I want to just kind of give you all a biblical foundation for understanding this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, ex- and experiencing God so that as this stuff starts to happen, we don't have to have that little doubt in our mind like, is this just a show? Are we creating all of this? Does God even do this? We can um, be secure in that. So open up your Bibles. Uh, before we open up our Bibles, I want to tell you a story. And this story is kind of my journey in experiencing God and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take you back all the way to my seventh grade year. When I was in seventh grade, my parents were attending the vineyard in Tri-County, and I was attending there also with them. And every summer, that church has this massive, this massive conference called SOS. SOS has usually 800 or so high school and middle school students and um, powerful worship teaching. What's really cool and unique about SOS is that for five to six hours of each of the five days, 
they actually send busloads of students and adults out to various parts of the community of Cincinnati, and they do like servant evangelism. So anything from washing cars to giving away popsicles to we actually go in and wash bathrooms in the early days. That one kind of got lost as it got as it progressed. And how many of you have been to SOS before? Raise your hand. So a lot of you know what it's like. Um, and so I'm at SOS. I'm in seventh grade. Never been to one before. Chris Tomlin is leading worship, so it's a big deal. They've also that Matt Redmond led a couple years later, and he actually introduced his song "Never Let Go" at SOS. So really cool. And so where I'm at SOS, it's seventh grade. In the morning, there is worship and a teaching. Then in the afternoon, we go out and we um, like do some landscaping work. Come back to the church, some free time. Then the evening service starts, and we begin with worship. And I remember as a seventh grader, like I, for some reason, I had this, I felt this duty to stay standing during worship, but I like hated every second of it. And I'm like, man, my legs are so tired, and my back is hurting. Like, how long am I going to have to stand for this? It felt like there was 12 worship songs. The prize, like, four or five. And I'm just like, wait. I'm like, every time a song ends, I'm just like hoping they don't go into another one. You know, it's so different now. Now I could worship all day. But I uh, worship ended, and then the person that came out to teach gave the teaching. And I was like any other seventh grade guy. I was looking at him, and then all of a sudden I saw something over here. Looking, oh, look at that. Look at over there. I'm just like looking around and, and totally not able to stay engaged. But for some reason, he must have told a story. He did something at some point that moved me. And so I don't even remember who it was or what they talked about, but I remember being moved enough to actually go up and respond for prayer when the speaker said it was time to pray. So me and a couple other hundred people went up, and all of a sudden, uh, the praying is starting, and I look to my left, and there's someone hysterically laughing next to me, like laughing at the top of the lungs. And I'm thinking like, man, do you not know this is a church service right now? <laughs> like telling jokes and messing around. Wow, there's some sinners over there. Um, and so then I like, kind of walk over to see what it is. I mean, I'm in seventh grade, you know, inquisitive, curious, also not super socially aware. So like someone's like getting impacted by God and like walking over to like look at it. <laughs> and... And uh, so I hear one of the adult leaders that I knew and I respected saying, God, I bless what you're doing. And I'm like, huh, so maybe this is God that's doing that. I'm like, well, why would God call someone to hysterically laugh? And I thought, well, I guess he just wants us to be joyful. And so it's what he does. So I just thought, okay, I guess that's what God does. Then I look over to my right behind me and there's this guy worshiping and his hands are kind of doing this. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Look over again, and there's people crying all over the ground. Look back at that same guy, and now his whole arms are moving like this. I'm like, okay, that's really weird. He might need some help. I don't know what to do. And so then I walk, I'm looking around again, and uh, there's people like being prayed for and just like falling over, falling right off their feet. I'm like, wow, I guess that God just sometimes wants to take us off our feet. And so I look over again, and that guy is like convulsing on the ground. And I'm like expecting the paramedics to come in. Like, is this dude having a seizure or something? Like, what is going on? And I walk over again, you know, like invading, looking at it. And, and I hear, God, I bless what you're doing. I'm just like, wow, why would God call someone to shake like that? And I remember thinking something along the lines of, I guess when God's power hits people, it sometimes is more than their body can take. Something like that. And so I just like 
early on, remember seeing all this stuff and, being, and thinking that it was just a normal part of Christianity. Well, the next year at SOS, the stuff didn't happen for whatever reason. Didn't happen again throughout the rest of high school. And I, uh, ent- right around the age of 14 or 15, I started to uh, live my life making mostly unchristian choices and decisions. And so I kind of stopped caring. Then I got to age 19. And 19 is when I got born again again. You know, I accepted Christ when I was five. I got saved then. I got really serious about it when I was 19. And it was a really cool experience. A lot of you have heard it before. I was sitting in my apartment in Clifton. This apartment's ridden with bed bugs. And uh, you might have expected me to pray because of that, but I never did. I uh, was not praying. I was not worshiping. I was not moved. I was not reading my Bible. I was not doing anything spiritual. And God spoke to me and said, um, follow me, basically. So that's a story for another time. But when I got saved, when I got born again again at age 19, I really started to dive into intellectual Christianity. I immediately started reading a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. After that, I read Mere Christianity. And while some people might call my early experience with God experiential Christianity, now I was really diving into intellectual Christianity. And I was learning all about the cosmological argument and the Kalam cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the moral argument, all this stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm much more interested in evidence for God's existence that we can maybe find in like cells or in the universe than I am in experiencing the power of God or healing or the gifts of the spirit or any of that stuff. And uh, so I'm really learning a lot about that. Then I get involved with the Navigators, a college campus ministry at Miami. And I learn a ton about Bible study and scripture memory and discipleship. And uh, this whole time, my best friend Wilson, all you guys know Will, he was in Florida doing YWAM. And while I was learning all this stuff about discipleship and Bible study and apologetics, he was learning all about healing and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and evangelism. And so after uh, him being gone for three years after we graduated high school, he came back into the picture and came to Cincinnati and we started hanging out every day again. And so what was really cool is that Wilson and I, at first when we got back, we just like debated all the time and uh, that never went anywhere. But then we both kind of got a tiny bit of humility and we started to kind of like sharpen each other. And so while I'm teaching Wilson about the stuff I learned about discipleship and Bible study and scripture memory and uh, daily time with God, like set, set out daily time with God, he is teaching me about evangelism and the gifts of the spirit and um, the manifestations of the spirit and stuff like that. So it was really cool. We just got to like impart both of those things to each other. And we both grew tremendously because of that. And both, all that stuff is good. Like none of that, we don't need to compare those two things, you know? Like one of the things that I, bugs me the most is when someone compares, it's like their message is the Bible versus the Holy Spirit, you know, or discipleship versus evangelism. And it's like, wouldn't that be the enemy's strategy to get us to pit two amazing things of God against each other so that we only can fully access one of them? So, um, so I love it all. Um, and so we were able to build each other up in that way. And Will began teaching me stuff. And some of the stuff he taught me, um, most of it I just witnessed him doing. 
You know, if, you, if you, any of you have been around Will for a period of time, you kind of start to catch the things that he does and he says. And it's really cool. And so I remember we'd pray for people and I would put my hand on somebody and close my eyes and like clench my whole body. And I would uh, start reciting all of these things that are just, I'm just, what is the most inspiring thing I can say to this person right now? And I'm just like going on and on and on. I'll, I'll quote a scripture every once in a while and just like pray this long, elaborate prayer. Whereas when Will would pray for someone, he'd just put his hand on them and be like, come Holy Spirit. And just pause. And at first I'm like, man, I guess he doesn't know what to say now. I better jump in. <laughs> so I would like jump in and start praying. He'd be like, stop, dude, just chill out. Let's just, let's just let the Holy Spirit come. And what was crazy is he would pray, come Holy Spirit, and the person would like start weeping. I had this like five paragraph essay <laughs> that I was praying over them and nothing would happen. And he says two words and they're crying. And I'm just like, what the heck? What is going on with this? <laughs> and, uh, and then also he started teaching me about the gift of prophecy. And he's like, when he, pray, when he would pray for people, he would uh, actually pause for a second and ask God, like, what are you saying to this person? And then he would say it to them as if he were, as if God was speaking through him. Like, I feel like God is saying this for you. And they would get super impacted by that. And I'm just like, man, like, this is really cool. I never knew you could pray like this before. And so I'm starting to get more and more open to Holy Spirit stuff. And I was so skeptical of healing when I first, this is like just three years ago, less than three years ago. I was so skeptical of healing. And he would take me to these conferences and someone's shoulder would get healed apparently. And I would just be like, that's all in their head. Like, there's no way their shoulder just got healed right now. I don't believe that. And, uh, and so that was my attitude at first, but slowly God was doing a work on my heart and I was learning more about it and getting more comfortable with it. And so that brings us all the way to January of 2014. I attended a national vineyard conference in Champaign, Illinois. And, uh, I didn't know anything about really vineyard values or the vineyard movement as a whole. I'd never been to a conference like this. I would soon to find out. And so it's a, basically it was a conference where uh, there was probably a thousand vineyard people that were there and a lot of pastors, a lot of authors, a lot of the main leaders, and they had a couple of the main people speak. And so the first night, Robbie Dawkins is speaking and he uh, starts his message and I'm just sitting there and he's talking about Holy Spirit and healing and stuff that I'm currently learning about and getting interested in. in and I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. And all of a sudden, I hear someone to my left, like there was a row of chairs, like a section of chairs, an aisleway, and then another section of chairs. And I hear someone to my left just screaming, like, ah! And I look over, and I'm like, what is And it stopped, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that was. Maybe I was hearing something. And uh, so he keeps teaching, and then it's like, ah! And I see who it was. And some people are looking back, but no one's doing anything. I'm like, is this guy hurt? Or like, what's going on with this guy? Like, I was thinking like, you know how sometimes there will be a crime that's committed and there'll be like a hundred people watching it, but no one will step in. I'm like thinking we're in that scenario. Like no one wants to help this guy. He's writhing in pain. It's like, ah, and then he's like, God, we want more. And it's like during the teaching. And so I realized like, man, this guy is getting really impacted by God right now. And I didn't know God could do that during the teaching. That's kind of cool. And, and so, uh, but then the next thought that comes to me is like, is he just getting attention for himself? Is this guy just making a show of himself? Like, 
what's going on? Again, I still have a little bit of skepticism in me, but I decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. I found that, man, that is so much better for my heart when I just give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, I don't need to always, I don't need to be like the manifestation police or like the experience police. Like, I'm going to tell you whether you're experiencing God or you're not. And I'm going to have a five points as to why you are or are not experiencing God. Like, it's just, if you want to do that, fine. But that is, a, I found it much more freeing for my heart not to do that. And so uh, that's happening. And then uh, he ends his teaching and he invites people to come forward. About 250 people come up to the front. And he just says the two words, he says the uh, three words, come Holy Spirit. And so we're sitting there in silence, and I'm like, okay, I guess something's going to happen. It's been about 30 seconds. He's like, let's just wait for him, guys. We don't need to be in a rush. I'm like, okay, whatever. All of a sudden, to my left, one of the uh, people who was, his, this guy, his name was uh, Ken Fish. He's a vineyard, he was in the early vineyard, was like discipled by John Wimber. And Ken Fish is just starts screaming out in tongues. And it's not like a high-pitched, fast, quick tongue. It's like a low and slow war cry sounding kind of tongue. And the second he does that, the, there are 20 people right in front of him. They all just fall to the ground right in front of me. And I was like, dang, that was crazy. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, the whole place just blows up and goes nuts. And there's people laughing everywhere. There's people crying everywhere. There's people falling off their feet, people convulsing on the ground. I even heard someone roaring like a lion. And I was like, what? And I'm looking around. It's like a war zone. But you know, it was weird. There was so much chaos. Yeah, I strangely felt this peace in my heart. It was weird. And I'm looking around and I'm like, well, you know, I'm feeling like some warmth in my hands and a little bit of like electricity in my arms, maybe some adrenaline going up into my heart. But like, I'm not experiencing that. And then the thought came to me like, man, is, I was like, God, is this even you? Like, what is all this? I mean, I remember seeing this in seventh grade. I hadn't seen any of this stuff since then. But like, I don't know, is this you? And uh, I feel like he told me, um, it was either in that moment or it was in a moment during that season. I can't exactly remember. But at some point, I feel like God told me, like, Luke, are you okay with not having all the answers? And I was like, um, yeah, I guess I am. And so I just was like, you know what? I can't explain this. I don't know. I can't find this in the Bible yet. I, I was able to later. But I'm just going to be okay with not knowing and let God teach me. And so um, I didn't have a radical encounter for the rest of the conference. I was hoping for it. I never did. We got back to Cincinnati and stuff like that started happening in house group and at church. Um, at the, I go to this church. And so at Vineyard Church Northwest, the stuff's happening more. And uh, I am like hungry. I want to have a, an encounter like that, you know, like uh, I, there were all these times, there were all these times where we would pray and um, the stuff would happen. I'd go up and be the first one to get prayer. And again, I'd feel a little bit, but nothing major. Um, and early on, God showed me that I shouldn't be comparing my experience to the people around me. That like the second I start constantly thinking and worrying about like, oh, well, what, what are they doing? Like, I want what they have. And like, okay, I wonder like when I do that, I'm like so focused on other people's experience that I'm distracted from what God wants to do in my heart. 
And so I quickly learned, like, I, don't, I shouldn't be comparing my experience with anyone else's. I'm going to be content with whatever God gives me. And so that happens. And then comes July of 2014, and a guy named, or sorry, August, one of the months, and a guy named Ben Fitzgerald came here to Vineyard Church Northwest. He, was, he is a pastor from Bethel and Redding, California. And at the end of his message, they did what they call a fire tunnel. And it's kind of like, it was right up here, actually. There's like 10 people that stand on one side like this, 10 people that are on the other side like this. And, you know, if you've ever been to like Young Life Camp before, whatever, and you come off the bus and people like have a tunnel, like, woo, yeah, clapping. Um, It was like that, except they were praying just for God to release his presence. And so Ben says they're going to do it. And I'm the first one who gets up and I come right up here and... It wasn't like I was going through it and all of a sudden I felt my knees buckling and then I fell. It was like I walked in and one moment I was standing, the other moment I was on the ground like laughing and they had to roll me. I was right here. They had to roll me over <laughs> because I was uh, in like the end of the tunnel and the people couldn't get through. I was causing a roadblock. And, uh, and it, it ended up happening. It happened three more times after that where I fell off my feet in that summer. And I remember one night after a house group, uh, Jen and Celia were on the ground for like two to three hours. And they were there for like an hour or so after a house group had finished, just like under the presence of God. And I remember once, and Morgan Cunningham, for those of you who know her, her like hands started making weird like motions and she like couldn't control it. And so her hands were just like doing this for like an hour. Seriously, it was really wild. And uh, so what was cool is after that season, God really took house group and showed us a lot about intimacy with him. And in character followed that. Um, like I said, I feel like a new season or chapter is coming where we have another dose of the power of, and presence of God like that. And I think that uh, he wants us to be ready for it. So with all that said, now let's dive into the scriptures. Open up your Bibles to Acts 1. I want to start off by talking about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of different ideas on this. So let's read verses 1 through 5. This is Luke, a disciple of Paul and an author of two books of the Bible. And he is writing to a Roman guy named Theophilus. Um, He references his first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, And then he is talking about a time period right before Jesus ascended, but after he resurrected. So let's read verses 1 through 5. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that Greek word for baptism there is baptizo. And what baptizo means is to immerse, purely. And so it was commonly used in the time before biblical authors started using it. It was used by um, leather makers, like tanners. 
And what they would do is, is they'd have this concoction of water and some other, I don't know exactly what was in it, but it was like for the leather. And they would immerse the leather into this fluid. And what was really interesting is that when uh, the leather was in, immersed, the leather was immersed in the fluid, but then the fluid would seep into the leather. And so what's, what's inherent in this idea of baptizo is that something is being immersed and in something, and then that thing is being released into the thing that had been immersed. You kind of see what I'm saying? It's like a two-part thing. It's like there's immersion. I'm immersed in the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God is immersed in me, kind of a thing. And so um, that's kind of what the word meant. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it, we could also read it as the immersion of the Holy Spirit. And uh, next question I want to answer is, what is it for? Like, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? What it is, is simply immersion in the presence of God. Immersion in the Holy Spirit. Now, what is it for? To answer that, let's read verses 6 through 8 of Acts 1. So continuing on, verse 6. So, when they come together, they are asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So what's cool about this is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to feel good. Or like be encouraged. Like that happens. But what it's for is to fuel us up to advance the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, the, the uh, disciples here, they ask Jesus, is it now that you're going to restore the political empire of Israel? Like, is it now that we're going to rise up and push out the Romans? And they have this idea of like political warfare. But what Jesus points them to is no, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to gear you up to do spiritual warfare and to, and to advance and release the reality of the kingdom of God. And rather than conquering cities that the Romans have taken, you're going to be conquering regions that the enemy has taken for the past thousands of years. And you're going to start to reclaim this planet that was given away at the fall with Adam and Eve. So that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. It fuels us up to do the work of God. And so after this, Jesus ascends. And now I actually want to read where um, this event, this baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. So let's read Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. So after the ascension, they're all up in the upper room and they're praying. You guys know the story. Here we go, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So one thing I want to point out, if you can leave that, if, if that last slide, yeah, if you can just leave that one up. Jesus said they would be what with the Holy Spirit not many days from now? What did he say the first time? Baptized. 
Remember that? He said, not many days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sorry to trick you there. (laughs) Then when it actually happens, Luke, the author, uses the word filled here. Everybody ever noticed that before? Like he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but then he says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so my first thought was, well, I guess this wasn't it. Like maybe it happened before that and didn't get talked about in the scriptures or maybe it was after. But what I realized what the most logical thing to believe is that they're the same thing. That to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That it's two different words that are trying to describe the same dynamic encounter. You know, it's kind of like, if you're trying to describe, maybe if anyone's married in here, if you're trying to like describe the love you have with your spouse, it's like you can't just do it with one word, you know? You have to use like many different words because it's such a dynamic, alive, powerful thing. So in the same way, I think we've got two, we've got baptism, which is um, to be immersed and then immersed in. And then we've got filled, which is if you like imagine like um, water, say I can like hold liquid, my, like my body's a cup, like water starting at my feet and just kind of going up my whole body and through my head, like filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what's interesting is that later on in, Act, in Acts 10, um, Luke, or sorry, Peter is preaching to a bunch of Gentiles, um, the household of Cornelius. And it says that while he is preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone that was there and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And what Van was telling me was that that word fell on actually um, was used to describe like, pe- like people when they were getting mugged. Like, like, um, like these guys were like mugged by the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> Anybody ever been mugged by the Holy Spirit before? Where you're just like not expecting it and you know, you just get hit with it. I know that's happened to Shauna before. <laughs> so, so we got these three different words. We've got baptism of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We've got the, the Holy Spirit fell on. And what I think is going on here is that the author is trying to describe this dynamic event and he's using three different, he's using as many words as he can to give us the full picture because you really can't get the full picture from talking about it. You can only really get it from experiencing it yourself. So um, next thing I want to point out is that this event at Pentecost, this looked a whole lot more like what I experienced at SOS and at the conference in January of 2014 than it did other meetings and other church services that I've been to. Like it says, well, let's just do something real quick. So it says they were all, they all began to speak in different languages. And I think we usually overlook how that might've actually been. So I want to try to, this, this came to me earlier today. I want to try to do something where we mimic that. I'm not going to ask anyone to speak in tongues. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask anyone to speak in different languages, but I want you all to think of maybe a song that you like, worship song, or a, uh, it doesn't have to be a worship song. And I want us all to say it out loud confidently at the same time. We'll talk for about 10 seconds and we can try to kind of get what it was like for the disciples when Pentecost happened and they all started speaking different languages, okay? So take a second and I'll give you, figure out what song you want to say. You don't got to sing if you don't want to. You can just say it, okay? Just take a couple seconds to figure that out. 
Everybody got their song? You guys look way too nervous. This is not that scary. <laughs> Everybody got their song? Yes? Okay. I'm going to say three, two, one, and then just start saying it. Okay? Three, two, one. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Okay. Okay. So, I want you to imagine, like, they were all just praying. And all of a sudden, that just started happening. Okay? Not only that, but there are, like, violent winds, is what he said, coming through the room. And I don't know if that meant that it was actually a breeze or if people are just, like, falling, you know? (laughs) But it's, like, violent winds. And then flames of fire are in the room. Like, that looks a whole lot more like the meeting that I went to in seventh grade than a lot of church services that I've been to. And so that's kind of what that was like. That was fun. Thanks for doing that for me. Um, Next thing I want to say is this. The word baptism, because it was used here by Luke to describe this event, it kind of gives this event, the event of Pentecost, um, an unfortunate, or the word baptism has unfortunate connotations. And so it kind of gives us some bad ideas about this event. Because when we think of baptism, we think of like being water baptized, you know? Like if you uh, grew up in a Catholic tradition, sprinkled, or maybe it was where the pastor would take everyone out into the lake and he dunked them himself. Maybe it was like a church service where you have a hot tub come out of the stage and... <laughs> Music's playing and people are being dunked. Or if you're part of a house group, run up to the bathroom upstairs, fill up the tub, <laughs> dunk people in the tub, you know. Whatever your idea of baptism is, we think of it as this one thing that, ha- this thing that happens once and you never do it again. Like um, some people have, I know have gotten baptized a second time when they were really serious about their faith, but it's not like you get baptized like a hundred times in what, yeah, I don't think anyone's done that. If you have, then talk to me afterwards. And, but So because that word baptism is used when it's referring to this filling of the Holy Spirit experience, this like tangible encounter with God, I think that there's been this idea that it's, that this event only happens once also. And what people will confuse this event with is another one, but, um, is people will confuse this event with being born again in the spirit, you know, because when we get born again, we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us and regenerates our heart and makes us a new creation. And uh, just to read a verse on that idea, because I, I totally agree with that idea. I want to read Titus 3.5. This is this, this idea of the Holy Spirit um, at, at salvation, regenerating us, that that's kind of, that's what receiving the Holy Spirit is. So Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit when we, are saved. That's true. When we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit and he renews our heart. But I don't think that that is what happened at Pentecost. I don't think that is what happened at Pentecost in Acts 2. You know, I w- if you would have uh, asked me a couple of years ago, hey, when did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? I would have said Acts 2, Pentecost, came down from heaven and filled them. Um, but 
that's, I don't think that's true. And I want to show you a verse that I didn't find until a while after. And I like, couldn't believe, I, it was weird that I actually found this verse. Um, and so let's go to John 20. We're going to read John 20, verse 21 and 22. This is after Jesus is resurrected, but before he ascended. If you remember, Pentecost happened after ascension. This is before he ascended. And so in John 20, let's read verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I remember reading that for the first time and thinking like, wait a minute, I thought they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Like, and I was thinking maybe, maybe this is like supposed to be the same event, but in one, Jesus had ascended, and the other, he had not. So, I mean, that can't be what it is. And uh, so I'm like, well, then, if, if uh, Pentecost wasn't them receiving the Holy Spirit that did the regenerative, regenerative work in their heart, then what was that? What was happening there? And so what I've come to understand is that there's a difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you. You know, I've heard people pray before, like, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence, but we thank you that you're already here, and so we don't even actually need to invite your presence. So uh, I take that back. Not that last part, but that's kind of what it sounded like, you know. Um, or we don't need to invite the Holy Spirit because he's already here. And while uh, it is true that the Holy Spirit is always in us because we are new creations in Christ, the Holy Spirit is not always on us. If you read in the Old Testament, Oftentimes you read, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, or came on whoever, Samson, and he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Something like that. So the Holy Spirit both is in us, but back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in people. He only came on people. And I think we used to think that that ended with the New Covenant, but really it continued and just got amplified even more. And so um, if you remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and you'll be my witness throughout all of the earth. And so what was happening at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit was already in them, but he was coming on them and fueling them up to advance the kingdom of God and do the work of ministry. Now, some would say that, yeah, I understand that too, those two distinctions, but you only have the baptism of the Holy Spirit once. That like you get born again, Spirit revives you, then you have this dynamic encounter with God and then you don't really ever have it again or you shouldn't expect to have it again. Like it's kind of like a one-time deal. And that's not what we read in the Bible either. And if you don't believe me, I'm gonna prove it to you. Let's go to Acts 4. We're gonna read verses 29 through 31. This is where um, Peter and John had been walking in, the, in Jerusalem. Peter healed the guy that had been laid from birth at the temple. People start flipping out. He preaches. They get arrested. Then they get freed. And after they get freed, all the disciples come together. There's like 10,000 at this point. And they start praying a prayer of thanks to God. And we're going to start halfway through their prayer because it's kind of long. So if we're in Acts 4... Let's start at verse 29. Here we go. 
And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. So they received the Holy Spirit before Jesus ascended in John. They are baptized with the Holy Spirit for the first time in Acts 2, and then they are baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled or it fell upon them, however you want to say it, again here in Acts 4. If you still don't believe me, let's go a couple decades later to Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. So we're going to read Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. It says this, again, yeah, this is Paul. He's talking to the church members and he's giving them instructions on how they should be behaving, basically. So we got, here we go, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. You know, that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, um, Van was talking to me about it, and he told me, if you don't know Van, he's the senior pastor of this church. Um, great guy. Van, raise your hand. Clap for him. <laughs> so what he was telling me is that the uh, verb tense for this Greek verb was, when it says be filled with the Spirit, what it means is continually be filled. Like be filled again and again and again, and again, and again. And then I love how he like equates it with worship. Like as you sing songs, this might be corporate songs, or sorry, as you sing hymns, songs and hymns, these are like corporate songs, and spiritual songs among yourselves. This is kind of like singing the songs that the Holy Spirit is releasing in the room. And um, making melody to the Lord in your hearts, like singing what's on your heart. Like it's cool, like when we do that, it's like we're stepping into another level of encounter with God. Like we have normal worship where we're singing the songs, the, letter, the words up on the screen, but then we can sing what's on our heart and we're like stepping into another thing. So I think that's pretty cool. So if you want to experience more of God when we worship here in a second, um, do, do that. It's going to be awesome. So I'm, pretty, I'm close to being done, but all that to say, so we see they receive the Spirit Then they were filled in Acts 2. They were filled again in Acts 4. And then 25 years later, they're still being filled with the Spirit. And so what that means for all of us is that we need to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of heartbreaking when somebody tries to do ministry and tries to work so hard without having that encounter with God that fuels them back up again. You know, we need that touch from God to not get burnt out and to not give up and to not get discouraged as we are doing this Christian thing. Like, that's the purpose of it, is to fill us up and remind us, oh yeah, you're real, you're a tangible God, you're not distant, you're close here with me, and you are the one who's supplying me with the strength to do this ministry. You know, we need that. And so we need that experience with God. You know, I'm not, I can't go super, I'm not going to tell a long story here, but my other job is I work in middle schools and high schools 
doing an anti-bullying program. And you would think that the seventh and eighth graders would just like blow it all off and not be impacted and not care about any of the stuff that we had to say. But what's really cool is that the way that our program is designed, we give, yeah, we give them a number of short teachings that focus on a story, but then towards the end of the day, we have them go through this activity called Step Out of the Crowd. And after that, you know, a lot of the guys will be in tears. And after that, they will make apologies to each other for bullying each other in the microphone. Remember one time, there was a seventh grader named Scotty, and he got apologized to um, by 40 different people in the room. And like, it's really, it happens everywhere we go. And the reason it happens is that these kids, they're not just being given content. Like, don't bully, don't stereotype. You uh, need to learn someone's story before you talk bad about them. But they're actually being able a chance to experience empathy for each other by learning about each other's story. And the same is true for us, that we can know that something is true But when we actually experience it, then we can really believe it in our heart and really act on it in a helpful way. And so um, I want to give you all five quick tips for experiencing God, and then we'll worship and experience God, unless anyone's going to start going, ah, before I'm done. (laughs) So number one, tips for experiencing God, seek his presence continually. I love this verse out of 1 Chronicles 16.11. It says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And for me, what this means is like, you know, being around church and house group a lot, we get prayed for a lot. But sometimes when I'm getting prayed for, you know, I I get tempted to go through the motions. Put my hands out. Okay, they're saying stuff. I'm going to nod my head so they know I'm with them. If they say say something especially profound, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's good. Thank you, Lord. You know? And, uh, but I'm also thinking like, man, I wonder how, when they're going to be done. Like, wow, they've been praying for a long time. I need to give them some more prayer team training. Who did their training? You know, <laughs> gosh, you know, if we're all, I don't know if some of you fall into that sometimes too, but I fall into that. But what if every time someone pray for us, we were eagerly anticipating an actual encounter with God? Like we have that it's like we have this amazing privilege and honor of getting prayed for all the time. And so rather than view it as like something to get through, we should be like eagerly seeking out prayer. Second tip, suspend judgment. Suspend judgment. I know a lot of times in the moment, I'll be, when someone's praying for me, I'll be experiencing something. But then I'll be thinking like, well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling heat in my hands, but maybe it's just like, maybe a heater came on or like, Maybe the person's body heat is coming off on my hands. And I'll start thinking of different ideas. Um, and I don't want to be so naive as to say that every time we get prayed for, everything that our body is feeling is from God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when we start criticizing and judging every little thing, we're going to miss out on the encounter that God has for us. And so what I would encourage you to do is in the moment be like, you know what, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but I'm going to suspend judgment and just believe this is God, and press into it. And I think if that's our attitude, eight out of ten times, we will actually be experiencing God. If we are judging everything when we're getting prayed for, we might only actually experience him two out of ten because we've written off the six other encounters that actually were from him. So we need to suspend judgment. Third, receive prayer in corporate settings. 
Another really fascinating verse, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You here is not an individual. You is the whole church in this context. You can look it up on your own later if you don't believe me. He's talking to the whole church here. So what's really cool is that I've always wondered, like, why is it that when many people come together, the Holy Spirit will, like, fall so dramatically, maybe not so much by himself, when it's just, like, a small group of people? Now, that's not totally true. I remember one time Gene and Van prayed for me at, at his house, and I, Gene had to catch me. We'll just put it that way. Um, I got really impacted just from a couple people. But it's generally true that when you have more people, oftentimes you'll see more dramatic stuff. And what I think this verse sheds light on is that the Holy Spirit not only dwells in us as individuals, but he dwells in us as a body. And so when we all come together, there's like this new level of his presence and his power that's there. So receive prayer in corporate settings. Fourth thing, don't compare your experience to that of others. Satan is the author of all, of all uh, comparison. Last thing, physical expression. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about in uh, screw tape letters that God made us with a spirit so we could um, interact with him spiritually. He gave us a mind so we could interact with him intellectually, emotion so we could emotionally, and he gave us a body so we could physically. But so many people like discount that one. It's like the other three are true, but not that one. It's like, what? He gave us a body so that we could encounter him physically. And that's, it's not like there's a formula where if I put my hands out like this, God's coming, you know? It's like, this is revealing my heart, my heart posture. Like, God, I want you. Or God, I want you. Or if I'm on my knees, Lord, I'm desperate for more of you. It's like when we physically express, we are, um, sh- I mean, if we do it, if we're not doing it with the right heart, then it doesn't matter. But if we are doing it with the right heart, then we're showing God the posture of our heart. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out. Um, we need this, guys. We need to be filled over and over and over again. We will run dry if we're not. You know, we're supposed to be a well that springs out living water to everyone else. But if our well is running dry and we're still trying to let other people draw from it, eventually we're going to be the ones that are dry. And so I want to encourage you at some point tonight or in your near future, ask someone just to pray for you to res- just to be baptized, to be immersed in the presence of God. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do invite your presence. Come, Lord. Come and fill us up. We're so excited to worship you, Jesus. So we ask that you would uh, direct our hearts to you, that you would keep our minds focused on you, and that you would just do whatever you want, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand. Come to the front for worship.